Okay, so I am maybe the first psychoanalyst who's gotten all her sound checks by Lucidius. Is it possibly true, Lucidius? Yeah, I, I'll give the credit to Ben and Daniel. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that that I think that uh, it took three people to get this going, but uh, welcome, Lucidius. Um, thank you so much thank for joining you. us. Um, as my listeners know, um, I am Freudina, and we're really excited here uh, to have Lucidius on with us today. Um, as we sit, I think it's been uh, it's day one of the COVID vaccine uh, being sent to our country. True. So true. it's an auspicious day to meet. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a very weird time for uh, for everyone. Yeah. Right um, and I just wanted to uh, thank you for taking the time uh, to come by and, and uh, meet. Uh, just for everyone, everyone should know, Sidious and I met about five minutes ago where he figured out how sound works in COVID. We are not in a recording studio, uh, right. but we're both sitting in our uh, altar, I guess, store, uh, our altar spaces. Um, That's right. Yeah, which is strange, right? It's a little weird not to still be meeting people. In it's person. strange. It's strange, but it also shows that we're capable of doing so much with where we are. You know, like I don't have to fly to you to have a, a great, you know, beneficial conversation. Yeah, that's totally, it's totally, it's totally awesome. Um, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about why I was curious about meeting you. Uh, just so the listeners know, yeah. Um Lucidius is totally awesome. I know this because he got a random uh, text, or I guess someone on his team got a random text saying, uh, Freudina is totally interested in meeting you. And within like 24 hours, I got a, yeah, sure, which is fantastic. Um, I know zero about rap or hip hop, or I should say, Lucidius, that I knew nothing until a week ago. But I have, yeah. yeah, I dove into this like more than I did either one of my doctoral theses. I just did it. Whoa. I felt like if you were going to be here, I'm absolutely going to do the best I can. So I have a lot of words that I know are now associated with what goes on, but I have zero previous yeah. knowledge. So there will be many gaps. Sure. Um, but I was going to tell you just, just by way of introduction, a little bit about uh, why I was so interested in having you be our, our mm -hmm. first interview. Um, we did do, did a full season of, of Ask Freudina, um, but I kind of was thinking a lot about over this pandemic um, about people who mm. are really trying to make a difference mental health wise uh, from all different fields. And I started uh, Freudina basically the very beginning of March. I'm originally from New York and the hospitals began to be overrun and many, many, many of my friends who are therapists uh, started to become overwhelmed. Uh, started running groups and also, in addition to regular therapy groups, started running some improv groups because what I really like doing with my free time uh, to offset a lot of the more serious stuff is improv um, and mm. noticed the sort of heavy, heavy burden that so many people were carrying. Uh, so when I started thinking about, well, how can we have a conversation about mental health with non-mental health practitioners? Uh, sure. What what segment of the population would I most want to reach? I started really realizing how many uh, people I know uh, listen to hip hop and rap, you know, on my team and and my sons. Um, and this is a a space that they spend their time in COVID with people mm. like you, which is incredible, right? Rather than people, they're spending it in a room. So then right. I uh, popped into a, a search engine uh, with the help of Ben, and there you are uh, talking about the more meaningful things in life. Um, and reach, reaching a heck of a lot more people than than we do one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Um, so I really... What did you search? 
Um, well, I basically, you know, I, I explained to you I knew zero about hip hop and rap, you know, until a few weeks ago, uh, but right. started really just basic Googling about people who are uh, hip hop artists or interested in mental health, mental health awareness. Mm -hmm. And Ben on my team said, if Lucidius will do it, he's your guy. That's it. He's your guy. And look Rock him up. on Ben. And Ben got yeah. it. Um, and he's your guy. And I was actually, uh, my own expectations were that I might find somebody, and I know a couple of people, but I might find somebody who was willing to do it as a favor. Uh, but what really uh, shocked me and gave me, I must tell you, a sense of not being as alone in the world myself uh, mm -hmm. was when I saw that you're coming from a very different place. But, you know, in terms of your roots and where you start out, what you do professionally, uh, but that I had spent all these months trying to bring, bring mental health to the, to the masses and sort of a DIY approach for mental health, because I saw that the usual therapy was simply not helpful enough. And there you were, goodness knows, uh, doing the exact same thing from a different place. So um, my cup runneth over, uh, really. Mm. Uh, a sense of uh, kinship. So I just can't tell you uh, how thrilled I was to see that someone who's closer in uh, to the kinds of fan base you have is able to offer that from that perspective rather than people needing to reach out across the divide to, to Freudina, which I think can be a, a bit more of a reach. Um, sure. So so I feel that I know a bit about you, but uh, I know you're quite practiced in telling it in your own words. Um, if you don't mind uh, telling us a little bit of how you uh, came to the ideas of mental health. And I know a lot of it came from what I heard earlier is it was helpful for you. Sure. Yeah. Well, thanks for Googling me. <clears throat> That's nice. Yeah, I think it, I, you probably found it because I started down that. I don't know if you found like digital media news or there's like two other podcasts I did. One specifically really touched on what my day-to-day -day experiences were with some of these people with some of the youth and now, honestly i don't even want to say youth because it's it's everyone um across the board from 13 year olds all the way up to i've had 60 year olds 70 year olds messaging me um that not big fans of hip-hop but were relating to some of the same issues and topics and feelings and just not knowing how to communicate them right um so yeah, as far as how it impacted me early on, uh, I didn't even start rapping until I was 18 or 19. Uh, and I'm actually turning 30 next week. Congrats. So, uh, <laughs> Congrats. Uh, Will you be doing anything for that? Yeah, well, we were going to in COVID. So uh, my roommates and I, my girlfriend and I are going to have a, a nice celebration here at the house. Cool. And uh, celebrate what we do have. So... Yeah, you know, I planned on going to Thailand when I was 30, when I was 15, but uh, uh -huh. it, it'll still it'll still happen. All right. Happen. But when you were 15, you had, I mean, from what I understand, you didn't even know that you'd be doing rap or hip, rap or hip hop because. No. Right. Yeah. Life no. is surprising. When I, yeah. When I was 15, um, I actually had a very strong interest in criminal justice and I have a, a degree in criminology and homeland security and uh, very quickly changed my mind after interning with the NRA. I was just like. Mm -hmm. This is a tough field. So, um, yeah, so back to the question, I started writing a lot and following a lot of hip-hop artists, predominantly Eminem back then. And um, although he has a very rough life, I think the beautiful thing about music is somebody can say something and a thousand people are going to reflect and respond and relate differently. They're going to relate 
in their own way, even though it's not the ex maybe not the exact same situation. Uh, I was relating to what Eminem was saying. I was having a lot of fights in my house. I was having tension at home, like constantly. Uh, I was isolated and staying in my room, kind of like self, um, attempting to self-soothe myself, but in a negative way. And music is by far, I think back to when I was eight, nine, ten, all the way through my teenage years, the only thing that actually kept me sane was music. I loved it, and I didn't even write. At that time, I was just listening and rapping to them, rapping with them, and just, they were my role models. I just loved them so much. And um, it wasn't until I was in college that I actually started experimenting with, okay, what does it mean to actually, how do I write this stuff? And then sometimes it was poetry, sometimes it was just random sentences of how I was feeling. And somehow I found myself on the internet looking up beats and how to, how to rap and how to sound cool. And, and uh, it sounded, to be honest, quite miserable for like the first two years. It yeah. was not good. <laughs> um, but I, I developed a fascination really with just expression and um, how seriously how important it is to, even if it's not to a therapist or to another person, just to ourselves, how important it is to write out, you know, the truth and, and what we're feeling, because if I never started that, then I wouldn't be here and both physically and career wise. And it just slowly progressed. I, I met, I, I believe that as when we take a step in a direction and we meet somebody or we, we, we set an intention of what we want, or what we desire, that things just start to domino effect. And I, I met people at the music productions club. My first roommate was a drummer. Guess what? Freestyling rap and drummers go really well together. So it's like, okay. He was like, no, no, Lucid, check this out. You know? And I was like, ah, uh, and we just, for three years, we just experimented and developed sounds. And as I said, I've probably written hundreds of songs and the first 90% of them were terrible, but it wasn't about that. You know, it was, a, it was about healing and what I was getting from it. It's basically a journal. And I think everyone, regardless of being a musician or not, would, I would recommend them having a journal. Um, but it turned into music for me and it just became a story, you know, just started writing. If I'm in a, if I'm in a low, I'm feeling negative, dealing with a certain state of mind or emotion, well, then I'm going to make a song specifically from that place. And I'm going to think about what in that emotion am I struggling with and find a way to release it. Just find a way to write about it. I guess um, I was really taken, uh, I was listening to, uh, I guess, two of the interviews you had done and then read a little bit uh, about you online. And, and some of the things you said uh, struck me, uh, you know, just from my perspective, I always like to think about, you know, what, what brings people to do meaningful things in the world, right? Now, how is it someone is created that becomes a person that, such as yourself, uh, not, not to be um, silly about it, but, you know, at, at this stage of the game, in your, in your late 20s, almost 30, right, um, and, and a, a music career that's obviously flourishing and, uh, look, getting bigger every day, I guess COVID will be an opportunity to go out and really be with the people who, who love you and I think you love back. Given, given the way you talk about the Lucidians and the kinds of stuff I've seen, it seems like it's a two-way relationship of the very it best is. sort. 
Um, but I guess I was trying to think, you know, uh, one of the things I do as a psychoanalyst and in, in trying to bring mental health to uh, to the people so people can really take ownership over their mental health to the extent they can, find the therapists that work for them, find the kinds of mental health um, activities that support where they're at, when they're in crisis, know what to do. Um, mm. Again, these are some of the main reasons I really was uh, just so delighted to find that there was someone in music who, who was doing that. Um, one of the things that came to mind, you know, is how is a lucidius made? You know, because when we think about it as, as psychoanalysts, we're, we're moving backwards. We're saying people come in sometimes in the worst day of their lives. You know, mm. sometimes we don't catch them, as you've alluded to, and as certainly in my experience, sometimes we don't catch people. They fall through and we're not able to do that. And uh, that's obviously uh, unbearably sad, as you've written about very evocatively, but I think most of our listeners are not more than one step removed of having lost someone through suicide. Um, I'll be teaching a suicide curriculum at the St. Louis Psychoanalytic this semester. Uh, and mm. as you know, I wrote the curriculum, I, I listened to your song twice, and then I wrote an email saying I'm going to revise this curriculum. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I'll, I'm going to tell you why. Um, I think as practitioners, um, it's very, you said something really meaningful, actually. Uh, mm. Let me. I think it was at, on, on a podcast with, with, with Ari, Ari's take. You said something yeah. really meaningful uh, that got a little bit lost just because you were covering so much. It was an hour and 46 minute interview. It was long. It was yeah. long, but it was a beautiful interview. Um, and one of the things you said was um, they had started responding by text to all the people you could who were at the uh, edge of things, who really um, were writing to you at the moment of despair. Um, and, and some of that, I guess, um, I'm a big believer in trying to um, keep people from um, more than necessary pain that is more than necessary. So I don't, one of the things you were describing there is what I would call vicarious traumatization. Um, I think you described on that interview a, a little bit about what it's like uh, to, to be the person that people are reaching out to. And if you'd be okay sharing a little bit of that, but not too much, uh, mm. that would be okay. When I mean a little is enough for you and not too much for you, because uh, <laughs> I think you're right that you need to preserve you. Uh, but what it's like and why you think <clears throat> that people are reaching out to you, um, I think that would be just important for our listeners to hear a bit about. Mm. Um, that's an interesting question. It's been uh, it's been a journey for me, in terms of how, both how it has impacted me in my daily life and my mind, uh, since like early on, for really about four years now. It's been about four years, where, I can open my phone, and which feels very surreal, uh, where I can open my phone and undoubtedly within thirty to forty seconds, find some form of suicidal depressed or anxious incoming message. It's almost guaranteed for four years. And it's been a, a dedication of mine. I won't say responsibility. It feels like my responsibility, even though my therapist and other people have said it's not, um, to, to open and to be there for as many as I can. Um, I've had weeks where I've spent 40 hours, like I've literally dedicated my whole week to just trying to respond and trying to engage. And it, you know, the downside with that is it's a never ending tunnel. And, um, you know, when you, when I respond to one, well, that's just, you know, peeling back a curtain to 
somebody's world. And, he, and when there's hundreds of them or hey, thousands of them, it's very hard to give the proper attention needed and deserved to someone like in that state of mind. So early on, I, I was just completely overwhelmed. I was very excited. I was like, holy crap, like read this. I was like, mom, like my producer, like, do you look at this? And people are so, it's so what seems to be like not real that they just don't know how to respond. They're like, oh my God, like, I don't know. I couldn't do that. I couldn't read that. Uh, I'm not sure how to help you with that. How are you feeling about it though? Because <laughs> it's like a very, mm -hmm. you know, and you know, you're in this, yeah. you're in this field. So you fully understand. Yeah. Um, we can take a very practical, I'm not going to say, uh, I'm very empathetic and it still really impacts me to this day. And sometimes it can mess up a full day for me, depending on what I read. But most of the time I'm able to come at these messages with a clear head no matter how tough they are. And there's some very, very disturbing stories that I've been sent um, and respond with uh, love and be neutral and just be that receiving party for them without getting triggered and emotionally damaged and feeling trauma. But for the first two years, I'll be honest, I really think some of those texts put me in depression, like especially the ones that I lost because I know some of the fans that I've lost have killed themselves. and. I don't think any of them are my fault. I, I know they're not my fault. In fact, I think if anything, I was able to help at the end. But um, yeah, like I, it's frustrating. I was on I was on a my first tour last year. I was in Toronto actually. I was in Canada, and this is still a new experience to me. Now I'm actually talking to them face to face. Fourteen year old walks in. Eight year old walks in. Thirty five year old, and they're all like crying and they're talking to me. And I'm like. So this is the same thing as the messages, just in human form. And one of them came to me and he was like, do you remember this girl? You know, she was in your group for like a year and a half because I have multiple groups where Lucidians can interact and just reach out. And I was like, yeah, yeah, she, I do. I've talked to her. I pulled her up on my phone. I was like, we've talked over the last few years. She's one of my day one fans. And, and, he, and he was like, she was like a mom to me. I met her through your community. And uh, she, you know, she killed herself last week. And I... I was like, ah, um, it's, uh, yeah. I felt some responsibility because I didn't answer her last message and that hurt me because I'm human and I wonder if I opened it, could I have stopped it? And, you know, the answer is no, but I could have helped and I did my best. And I think at the end of the day, I'm very happy that I have the opportunity to respond to as many as I do. And uh, I had, I've had a lot of therapy around it because it's just, I don't think any human is meant to carry. I've even talked to my therapist. My therapist has tons of clients. I mean, he's, he's a very, very successful guy, but we're talking whatever, like, let's just call it 30 clients. Let's say he's seeing 30 a week. I think that's more than he's seeing, but um, that is overwhelming itself, right? As a, as a therapist to manage, but I could easily open 450 messages and like just looking at it is just completely overwhelming. So I've limited myself at this point in the time to opening a certain amount. And I've decided that whatever I do open, I'm going to give my full attention, but I'm going to open less than I used to. I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to open them over time. 
but I'm not going to, unless I can respond and give a, and like really be there, I'm just not going to open them because I think it will do a disservice to open something and not be able to respond or be, or be emotionally available. Um, so there's something. The last thing I would say about that is most artists in my field, and I think that's what makes this interesting, 90% of artists do not even, they just don't even open them because it's, it, it, it basically gets in the way of our creativity. It gets in the way of our daily life. It gets in the way of my personal relationships when I'm trying to be here for my partner or my mom or someone. And then I, I turn, I open my phone and, you know, one of my fans' father killed themselves yesterday, is contemplating it right now, listening to my music right now. How do I go from this world to, um, I'm about to cook lunch. It's like, because they're both happening at the same exact time. Gotcha. Um, I know that was a very like long-winded, all over the place response, but that's how it feels. You know, it's a very emotional experience. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess what 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 you know you're you're thinking about is your lack of ability, even though cognitively you're aware that it, it can't be done. You know, emotionally, it doesn't feel okay. That that makes you into a quality human being, right? In, you know, if you were just totally fine, like I did what I could do, um, and you said, but you know, obviously just one person is incapable, uh, that would be a certain lack of empathy. I think you're, what you're talking about is uh, stretching the way, stretching how empathic you can be and still be functional. And I guess one of the most uh, really unusual things about you is, I think a couple of times I've seen you say different things about it, and of course I'm sure you're misquoted, but so I'm trying to use the things where you've said things directly at least, uh, was you talked about um, what I would call a, a thin line between music being a, a way in which you're, you're venting, at least in the beginning, you're expressing yourself. And I guess to me in some way you've now crossed over a little bit into being the recipient of these kinds of Insta or however else you're getting the DMs, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. And you know you're speaking to another, right? So there's a different way in which it, first you just, you know, as you said, you're journaling, but you just happen to be musically talented, right? You're writing sure. poetry. And now there's a way in which you know that, you know, you're writing for an audience. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about emotionally if that if that shifts things, anything at all for you. Mm. It does. Um, it's like when someone sings in the shower and you overhear them and they're just beautiful voice. They're amazing. And then they come out and you, you go, hey, I was telling Sammy over here, you're a great singer. You want to come on, show off. It's that moment. As soon as light is shed on something, what happens is our our perspective on ourselves heightens and it turns inward. Like we just, we go from expressing and releasing to analyzing that expression and making assumptions of what the other party is going to think about it. And it undoubtedly instantly creates a disconnect. Like, whoa, maybe I shouldn't say that. That could offend them. Or that could be, ah, come on, like that, that rhyme's not cool enough. Even if it's the truth, it's just kind of lame. It's just, you know, somebody will make fun of me for that. Or, you know, writing a whole thing out and just feeling like it's not good enough compared to the last radio single that you heard and trashing it. Um, and before, it was never about that. It was, and it really, I hate using the word should because the word should itself has like judgment in it. But like, 
I, I feel like I, art should should not be about that. It should be about the internal healing and just expression of a, of a human. And if they relate, great. If they don't relate, great. Um, unfortunately, we live in a generation where the availability, just the opportunity to send hatred to people is so easy. It's so at our fingertips to just reach out to someone and, and, and say anything we want, you know, and those that's really messed with artists. Like I know I have a lot of friends that artists are anxious. Artists are struggling. They're, you know, it's interesting that we're the source of so many people's healing, like music, music is my healing too. I have artists that I love. Um, it's so interesting to be the source and then to have the public, different parts of the public also be the source of our trauma because we are we're like, we were expected, not really expected, but to just kind of be this, this dartboard and people are just throwing darts at us with no idea what those messages and words are doing to us. Um, and it's, it really challenges the creative process rather than just coming in the studio, which I'm in right now. And just, this is how I'm feeling. Let's have fun. Or let's maybe sad. And like, write about this halfway in the, halfway through, I start thinking about the album. I start thinking about streams. I start thinking about money. I start thinking about all the people are saying, Oh, can you just make an upbeat track? Can you stop talking about such serious stuff? And I'm like, all those voices just start talking. And my creative flow slowly disappears, you know? So it seems um, like when you're talking, speaking in that sense, you used the word should about a minute ago and you said, well, we shouldn't have shoulds. Uh, it sounds like a lot of the shoulds are bothering you. Should have right. an upbeat track, should respond to this, should be. Right. Uh-huh. So is that, is that a shift yeah. for you or there weren't as many shoulds before when you owed nobody anything and it was just your space? That's right. There was no shoulds. Yeah. yeah. So in a way... Um, I guess I'm thinking about that a little bit. Just um, your space uh, to to vent or to be or to write your poetry, which I guess becomes hip hop, uh, yeah. but to, to 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 speak your truth to yourself. I guess you're saying that the vessel that contains it now um, is now a vessel that you know is going to be shared with others. And I'm wondering, are there spaces that you have? Are there times you compose where you're like, well, this song's just for me. I'm actually going to swear to myself no matter what happens. Maybe in five years I'll open this up. But right now I'm going to write something. This one's mm. for me. I have been encouraged to do that, actually. And I've never taken I've never taken myself up on it. I think it's a wonderful idea. Um, I'm, I'm built into this the business mentality of, why waste my time if I can't release it? And that's silly, but that's just kind of how I've been. I'm, I'm, I work a lot. So I want to get the music out there. And I'm like, well, I want to spend time on what's actually going to be digested by the public and going to be most beneficial to as many people as possible and myself. And short answer is no. Other answer is I will take your challenge and I will, will, you? I will do that. Will you? Yes, I will. <laughs> Can we put a date on it? Like, yeah. do you feel comfortable saying in X time, I'm going to get back to you for Adina and I will I have done it? How about by genuine, I'll say this. I don't know if it's going to be a full song, like a hook and everything, but I will dedicate a verse, a full verse, like 16 to 24 bars that I will not release. That will be just for me by Christmas. No way. 
That is awesome. Deal. How does that feel? That'll, that that'll help. How does you feel that you said that, actually? Shit, I better write that down. <laughs> <laughs> Feels good. It's. It actually, this conversation reminds me of, because I used to judge artists a lot before I was one, of like, somebody came out with a new album and I didn't really like it. I'd make fun of them when I was younger. I'm like, oh, I hate his new sound. I just wish he would go back to just sticking what he was good at. Like, he's fallen off the map. Not realizing that how damaging that is to the artist. And now it makes sense why there are so many one-hit wonders. I totally get it now. So I think I'm actually yeah, Say it, say for... it, say it so people get it, actually. Because I think it's yeah. really important when you're... You talk a lot in your music about uh, people, all sorts of people of power. In fact, like you're... Hashtag equals right, and you know, I think you're actually talking about that now as well. So I, I guess it would be wonderful for the listeners to hear what you mean by that. Like, why are there one-hit wonders? Because yeah. I do believe there are. I'm not going to say this is fact, right? This is mm -hmm. my belief, and there's probably multiple reasons why there's one-hit wonders. But one of the biggest reasons is because when someone is when someone an artist gets a hit like that, they're not just getting the the money you know they're getting public influence instantaneously and the pressure that comes with one the judgment that comes with just that much exposure of course one out of 50 people aren't going to like you well times that to 50 million how many people are not going to like you and they're going to make it very known and like there could be 1200 likes six dislikes which one do artists tend to look at the six do. what were those six people thinking that, what did I do wrong to upset those six people? So when you look at like such a large scale, a one hit wonder, somebody that goes global, they internally struggle with showing up and making a second hit that's just as good. Um, both the internal pressure of creating it, there's like, oh my God, like even somebody I look up to, NF, who really actually does a lot of this mental health stuff too, um, he even said at the peak of his career, when he was the highest, he was the most depressed in his whole life at the highest point of his career. Um, and I think it's that pressure that's created that how am I going to sustain this? How can I recreate that? You can't recreate it. It's, and that's the thing is people try, they expect us. They expect artists to just hit, hit and compare to the last one. But we're different people every time that we create music, you know, we're, we're not going to regurgitate the same exact story, the same exact sound. Like, that's not fun for us. Cool. And I think it's this issue of what my third album is called, Enough. And I really think that the one-hit wonder issue is kind of around this whole concept of enough. It's just like, you thought that would do it, but it didn't do it. And um, I thought that a million plays would, I could die a happy man and <laughs> be like, I did it. It's over. And I did a million and then like, it, you know, we're at like 150 million. And it's just like every million, every sale, every number, you reach it. Or I'll speak for myself. I reach it. And I'm like, what's next? You know, it's, it's recognition that there is no enough in a number or in, a, in an accolade. There is no. And it's, it's learning that, which I haven't mastered at all. It's learning that enough already is and whether it's a million 10 million or one that changes nothing about the value that i'm getting from it and the value that the project is and the beauty 
in the struggle that all these artists talk about. Like there's beauty in the struggle, there's beauty in the journey, beauty in the come up. They miss that. I miss that. I miss the just, it doesn't matter what this does. It doesn't matter how many, what number this hits. I just want to create it. I just want to make it. I want to feel it. And I, I genuinely believe that's why bands, rappers, artists, singers fall off. They just can't handle it. It's genuinely impacted my career. Like I've actually considered stopping at times. I'm like, I don't enjoy this anymore. And I'm like, well, I can't stop. There's half a million people listening right now that are getting benefit from it. And I love it deep down, but the, it's, it kind of becomes torture to artists of like, I'm not really enjoying writing this right now. And I don't even resonate with what I'm writing. Um, so I, I really resonate with artists struggling with that. And I think that's why I start to feel bad when I hear people or like strangers at a party or something just talking about how this artist fell off and like, ah, oh, he's a ghost, man. He, he's not good anymore. I'm just like, hmm. would you talk about your brother that way? Would you talk about your sister that way? Would, would you encourage them to keep making new, you know, variety filled music or would you completely shit on them and say yeah if you just didn't match up to your record two years ago i'm not going to listen to you anymore i wonder if you could reflect back actually when you were saying when i go back in and i i can't imagine before you made your christmas commitment which i'm looking forward to hearing from you on december 25th (laughs) (laughs) um, alternative christmas but before you sort of said you know actually you know yeah i'm gonna do that if you can reflect back on why why you haven't been doing it in the context of what you've been talking about, do you have a, a sense mm. now? It's a good question too. I think the human answer, at least up front, is that I'm scared of writing my own truth. I've gotten I've got I've come back around where I didn't start. I started like ruthless. I wrote everything. I was angry, and I didn't care if my dad heard it. And I was just like, that's beautiful. And I think because of the space I've entered, the career I've entered, the judgment on me, I think I've entered back into a place where I'm just scared to be honest. And it's like this expectation that I'm supposed to be further along than I am. And since I am the mental health awareness and doing these speaking, like it's also realizing, like tell, I tell my fans, I'm still struggling with this and I will be until the day I die. There's always going to be ups and downs and lows and highs and you don't just get over it and life stops punching you. I think we just learn to respond to it differently. And yeah, just a lot of mental health tools that can be utilized. But I start to feel like, okay, I'm on broken record at this point, you know? And on top of that, there, which kind of loops back around to your question, there is a sense of, I, I don't know if I should be this honest about this subject. It could do damage to the person listening or it could... Do I want my family to hear how I feel about that specific thing? And there's somebody like Eminem, he just doesn't care. And if he does, well, he says it anyway. He says everything, right? That was one of the more amazing things to me, actually, that when I was hearing you talk about your one and only, as far as I understood, hip-hop influence in high school was Eminem, like, or, Mm -hmm. you know, 90% of what you were doing, and just thinking about the way in which Eminem is going to, like, say his truth, live his truth, speak his truth, and something about that, it sounds like in your early music or when you were started started doing it and you were just screaming to the void, howling or whatever it was, that was you, that was Eminem. And then I, I, I was reading about, again, this is all um, 
new for me, uh, but your but your secondary influences later on in college when you started really uh, freestyling and, and feeling like you're apparently in high school, you believed you, you had friends who were good at this and you were not, and you didn't yeah. want to look like an idiot, so you didn't did you did I misunderstand that you didn't want to look no, an no. idiot so you wouldn't do it so I guess if you have fans listening now um what do you think of yeah. your former self who felt like an idiot so would not rap in in high school I mean it's kind of interesting right it is I think everyone wants to be cool especially yeah. younger we care about what the popular kids think about us and the uh the popular kids just so happened to be rappers mm-hmm. and they were good like it's like damn this guy's mm-hmm. like 17 he's really good and then on top of that my my friends in my group so it's one thing if the popular kids are doing it but when somebody in your group is doing it it's like oh well i can't copy him uh I, yeah, he's doing it so they started doing it and i just kind of took a back seat and i was like no 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 i don't want to try so I, that's why i feel like i broke out of that network and it wasn't until i was a freshman in college where i was like these people i'm a re I, i'm recreating who i am like i'm a some of those people aren't friends with me anymore. Some are, but mostly no one knows me here. What, who do I want to be? Who do, what do I want to do? And uh, yeah, so I ended up being the white kid that was rapping in the middle of George Mason campus. 30,000 kids walking around with their backpacks between classes. Terrible sound quality, rapping into a microphone with no audience. People just walking by, stopping like, is he really doing that? Like, I have to see them and just keep rapping, keep rapping. Don't think about it. Do you it. have access to now to what you were feeling then? Like, what were you feeling when you were standing there and people were barely stopping? Or what, do, you, do you remember what it was like to be you then? It's like it was a combination of. There's definitely like an adrenaline rush for like a positive of like feeling kind of like a badass. Like you don't have the guts to get up here. I did, and then the other half, probably more than half, I'd say three quarters, is just. God, what are they thinking? Uh, and and trying to analyze um, their their facial expressions and are they moving? Are they bobbing? Are they just kind of, are they whispering to their friend? And it constantly pulls us out. That's why so many artists, to be fair, are drunk or not sober and in some capacity while they're performing because it, it it allows us to just not see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't have to see it. Yeah. And um. So yeah, connecting in, there's just a lot of fear. There's a, a, a lot of fear of judgment and act and actual judgment for myself constantly. So it's interesting to me that like Eminem was, well, Eminem was Eminem. So probably he was just Eminem because he was Eminem. But Eminem was there, you know, as the, as the person you were listening to, I think. And, and just hearing you speak, maybe the music spoke to you. It spoke to all of us. But also a sense of him getting up and not really... I, I, I guess in, in my field, I sometimes talk to my clients about playing both sides of the tennis court. Like you're in your own head and you're also going over to the other side and saying, hey, what does it look from here? And it's a very difficult mm-hmm. way to play tennis, right? Um, yeah, it is. So I guess Eminem doesn't really do that, right? He just like stakes it out. It's like, this is my side of the court, man. Like if you're enjoying it, like feel free to log back. Um, and I guess what I'm what I'm hearing is like your first influence was someone who stayed at his side of the court. And then I guess I was thinking about some of your influences that you've named um, in college, whether it's MGK or Logic or Dizzy Wright or Mortal Technique. Uh, overall, uh, the sense of things is these are people who really were looking not at, not at what they were saying, but what is the impact of what they were saying, right? Yeah. Do you agree sure. with that? Because, you know, I know Absolutely. nothing about music. I'm just... Uh, yeah. 
I, well, I think it's a mix of both. I think they yeah. care about what they're saying and that they're bringing lyrical value. Yeah. But I think one common factor in all of the artists that you listed is that they are speaking truth regardless of what anyone says. Yeah. They are just so honest. Right. With mortal technique. They're, they're touching on depths of gang activity and like serious political corruption and like racism. You know, like, and, and MGK is coming from a tough neighborhood in Cleveland and just he's just an underdog rising up and with just brute anger and just crazy good rapper. Um, but they're doing it, whatever their dynamic is, they're just honest. They're just real. And, yeah. and they just, they just, and I don't think they don't care. I think these people struggle with depression. They yeah. care. They've just made a choice of, you know what? My expression is more important than what they could think and what they will think. And if someone's going to do this, if someone, some of your listeners are listening to this and they're like, I love singing. Mm -hmm. I love painting. I love writing. But, you know, my friend Sally thinks I'm, I should be focused on my doctorate. And my, my friend Josh thinks I should be more practical. The quicker that we just snip those chords and focus on what genuinely makes us feel passion. If I, if I could give myself any advice, it would be to do it sooner. So what the amazing thing to me is that you spoke to me about that you're struggling with this now, right? You can't write a song just for you. Mm -hmm. Like Came you're back. Yeah. You're giving this advice out and I hope it's like, you know, um, what did my folks say growing up? Uh, they said to me, Oh, you know, do as I say, not as I do, please. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, but there's some sense unless it's really hard, right? Like, you know, that your passion, you know, your driving force, what gives you your life, hope, meaning all that is, is getting back to where you were when you were 18 and terrible. Um, right. Um, yeah. Let's um, go back there. And it's hard, right? Like here you are and you're like, wait, hold on. But I am also on the other side of the tennis court. I need it to land right. And, and part of mm -hmm. that, I guess what I'm thinking for you as an artist is very different than for others, because you mentioned that for some artists, like they're doing well, some, you know, some one, you know, one song just did amazingly well and they want to land another really great one. Um, and sure, that's there for you when you talk about the business side. But the other thing you alluded to is you have a dual problem, as far as I can tell. You have, you know, doing well business-wise, but you also have, well, land well will help my fans. That's a very unusual burden. Uh, that be, it, it should be consumer-friendly and it mm -hmm. should also, you know, help people. That's not a burden most people have. So I guess yeah. I'm just wondering how one would even write with both those things in mind and trying to get to deeper truths. It seems hard to me. It is hard. The, the truth is my fans would receive me for anything I said. In fact, I think they can feel, they can feel energetically. Maybe it's subconscious, but they know when, when they're being bullshitted. That was, that was a good track. But when someone's emotionally delivering the real truth, whether in in tone or in words, it is it is instantly going to be received better. There may be more haters, for sure. Like it's it's more edgy. I, you, we can't avoid them. That's what I know. It's just going to happen. People are in pain, and when they're in pain, they're going to project and they're going to find ways to shoot everyone else down. So it's just going to happen. But that is the thing that I'm holding on to, and that I know I'm working back towards, is the more that I give the more that they will appreciate. No matter what it is, honestly, I believe that. It could be the most dark, crazy, borderline 
psycho written track and they would be like, wow, he, he was honest, dude, Lucid, that was amazing. Thank you so much. They would appreciate it. Listen, and I think people it, need to know that. I'm just wondering, like with that in mind, um, what is your fear about going and writing somebody, writing something, if you were able to get all this out of your head, what is your fear of what would actually come out? It's not about my fans. I've realized it's not about my fans. It's about the people I do know. Um, there's a certain level of pressure that comes from wanting to maintain a certain image for my dad, for example, or my mom or my sister or a close friend. Like just, damn, I don't, I don't want them to see me that way. Damn, I don't want them to know that I'm struggling with that. Um, and that is the most dangerous piece is because that's why people isolate. And that's why I haven't written as much as I could. It's that genuine fear of like, I just don't want them to have the knowledge. I don't want them to know. And then that have, have that change their perspective towards me. Um, so I recognize that because I don't think it's my fans. I, I really think I don't have any fear releasing anything to my fans. I really believe them to be like the most supportive community ever. And they encourage it. So I've noticed uh, it, it comes down to the people I know. And that's scary because that then I think about my fans because they're not talking to the people that they know for the same reason. And if they don't have a therapist and the counselor at school doesn't really care about his job, mom and dad are too busy and the best friend you just can't talk to because wouldn't be cool, what do you do? So that's, that's where I think 95% of people are stuck. And that's where I find myself I've, I've got beautiful friends and, and my partner and my, my therapist. I have outlets to talk. I'm not saying that. For me, I've, I've, I've done the work and I, I have a lot more work to do. But on a public scale for my music, that's my disconnect. It's like, shit. You know, just a little, just some fear around delivering the full, full emotions. Because they're intense. Hmm. You know, we're all human and we have a lot of crazy thoughts. So, I guess to me, I always wonder when, when people talk about... Um, you know, the fear of how it would land with people that are closest with them. I wonder, you know, how much of it's about how much that would land with yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether people that you're closest to are a proxy for that. Like if you really spoke everything that was going on inside, you know, the fear of what, what would that be? It's mm. a good question. I mean, I've spoken the depths of my truth fully in my lifetime um, to the right people. I just haven't crossed the bridge publicly because the song is public. I think that's the thing. Well, it's again, like, we're, you know, we're, we're talking about like you, I don't know, you're going to write one song for Christmas, but I'm saying, let's say you gave yourself space and time to, you know, write the way you used to write at 18 and mm -hmm. you knew that you just probably wouldn't release any of it. Right. I mean, the kinds of things that you'd you'd say and and think and and feel um, wouldn't be mired in opinion of fans or of family or partner, right? I guess mm. I'm just sort of wondering what the hesitation there would be to spend a week. You know, COVID's given us all some time that we didn't expect. You know, what would the hesitation be in like really leaning in hard there? Mm. Um. I don't like the answer, but my initial answer is it feels like a waste of time. And I know it's not. 
It's just that I have two companies and I can make a million excuses, right? Um, three companies. And I just have a lot going on mentally. And I think that's what's in the way. It's just making excuses. There's no reason why I shouldn't just write to myself. Uh, it's a beautiful process and it's so beneficial and I encourage people to do it. So, um, yeah, it, it just comes down to setting out the time and doing it. Um, and it's, it's really easy in the moment right before you do it to go, I can do this later. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and that's putting our own mental health off. It's me putting my own mental health off. So it's not encouraged, but that's the truth in terms of just making excuses around sitting down to do it. Well, I so. guess, I guess if we could like, you know, jump, you know, three weeks in the future and you've spent some time wasting your time, not making money, not tending <laughs> to your three businesses and all that. And yeah. you've really leaned in hard yeah. and you've given yourself the gift of what you used to give yourself the gift of at 18 because you had no choice, right? Like yeah. that's what you had to do. If, you, if Can you imagine if you gave yourself that space and time, then we had another conversation, what you might be saying differently? I think it will feel good. Uh, no matter what comes from it, no matter what I write, I think... Mm. Uh, I think it's a wonderful challenge because I think it, it will feel good. It will feel good because I, I will do it. But um, it'll it'll feel like relief. It'll feel like internal confidence building. Um, I think it'll feel just aligned and authentic. So, yeah, I mean, that's my, that's my assumption. Yeah. I guess one of the things about, um, you know, I, I guess... Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how to put this. I'll just be frank. What the heck not? It's only, it's only a couple of people listening. Um, but the first season of Ask Freudina, which is uh, the podcast associated with Freudina, we had listeners call in with um, problems they were having. And mm -hmm. we sort of, we meaning I, uh, but my team really puts it all together, um, sat down and uh, just crafted responses one-on-one -on -one to each person. And at the mm -hmm. end of each um, episode, said, okay, the following five callers may have sounded like they have nothing in common, but this is actually what's going on. It's all the same thing. Um, mm -hmm. And that season is really about, uh, it's called Flip Your Script. It's really about enactments. And, and the reason I'm bringing it up is um, I think that the way I was trained to think is that we all have different parts of ourselves that are constantly sort of all there, but we can't really experience them at the same time. Um, and sometimes when you're having a conversation with someone, the thing they're projecting back to you is some aspect of yourself. So like as you're speaking, I'm assuming that I'm just kind of a version of Lucidius speaking to Lucidius, that there are aspects of you who want to sit, want to write this stuff, are wondering who the heck is this guy who's got three companies, you know, all these things that he needs to manage, uh, the, the weight of the world on his shoulders, like, uh, where's the real guy, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm assuming that that's part of yourself that you're still looking for. Otherwise, it wouldn't have come up in our conversation. Very true. Yeah, I mean, Very true. I'm guessing that that's what it is. And I also am thinking a lot about um, the way in which um, you talk about uh, the Lucidians. And I don't know if there are people who are less than Lucidians, like almost Lucidians or, you know, people who are just yeah. uh, fans and followers, yeah. but there's so many people who listen to your music uh, at times when they most need it, even if it's not their first thing they go to. They go there or when they're sad, or they go there when they can't find words. And I'm wondering about the impact there also um, for people who are terrified to dig into the aspects of, of themselves that gave them the most solace 
mm. um, and busying themselves with, uh, you know, the weight of the world and, and obligations. Uh, it seems like you have a lot of empathy there when you started talking about it earlier on. You have a lot of empathy there because that's where you're at. Mm. And, and these things accrue. They do. Yeah. So I, I guess... Um, I feel most bad for... Well, a previous version of myself, which was extremely against therapy, made fun of therapy. If you go to therapy, you're clearly screwed up. You know, like, it's, it's, for, it's for the wackos, you know? And that was uh, a complete lie that I formulated based on my friend groups early on and all the, like, the... Just the toxic masculinity of a lot of kids, specifically men growing up. And, um, yeah, that was my outdated perspective. And now I am, I love, I love therapy. I love understanding and peeling back the layers and understanding how to, you know, realign and become a healthier version of ourselves. And, um, I feel bad for the kids who don't have access to that, whether it's, they're just in a bad neighborhood, bad school. The parents just won't put them in therapy. I don't know. There's a million different environments, but like, I love my fans so much, and I, I don't. I wish I could help more, because they're just reaching out in so much pain. It's so yeah. incredibly heavy. Yeah. You know, and I have issues. Sure, I had a tough childhood in many ways. Sure, but some of the things that these people share, are like. You know, you're like, how, how, how are you even managing that? You know, and um, how am I complaining about mine? <laughs> you know, yeah. and I know it's not about comparison because a paper cut still hurts. Yeah. But, but um, it's humbling to see, to see some of the stories. Yeah. And if I, I, I wish everyone had more access to yeah. safe conversation. Because I think it comes, comes down to safe conversation. Yeah. Whether it's with a therapist, a friend, or someone, it's just the ability to speak freely. That's right. I, I, that's right. I guess I was thinking, um, if it was, if it's okay with you, um, we started down a, a a road earlier. So many of the things we've talked about have been important. So it's hard. Yeah, to feel get free. Lost Take the reins. Um, but you, 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 I said to you in the beginning of our conversation, like one of the things that interested me was, like, how does someone become a lucidious, right? Like, how does someone become a moral person who's so deeply concerned about others? Because, you know, I think a lot of people, including parents out there who are struggling with, you know, lots are going on. You know, what should be the kind of thing I aim for to get a certain kind of result, right? I want to raise mm -hmm. a good kid. Um, and something about your life story just struck me that you spoke quite honestly about a very complicated childhood, which, you know, I am a psychoanalyst, but there's no need to go through every little bit of it. But the parts of it that seem to matter is you talked a lot about um, being alone a lot um, in your in your room, that your family had spaces that you all mutually just agreed, we'll see you at dinner and then everyone's going to go do their own thing, right? So you had mm -hmm. a lot of space. Um, mm -hmm. But something else Im 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 impacted me that you talked mm -hmm. about 9-11 um, and how that hit you. And I was wondering mm. if you might might say something about that now in retrospect, uh, given, you know, looking back at yourself at that point in time. Why, mm. why do you think, you know, that that younger Lucidius was impacted in that way? And Well, that's, a, I mean, that's interesting. That was a, I was young. Yeah. That was, I was 11. I was 11. So I think that, that was the first time that I had seen, especially like on a television, 
I'd ever seen something so violent and real, like outside of a movie. And, you know, beyond my, my neighborhood, something that had impacted so many people and to see so many lives taken, you know, it happens all the time around the world, every day, unfortunately. But the United States and like the media are very good at blowing up the United States stories way more than international stories of equal importance. And so as a kid growing up in the United States at 11 years old, well, 9-11 was everywhere. They took us out of school, you know, everyone was terrified. And I think I had a distorted lens on it as well, blaming certain cultures and people for not, again, not understanding that wherever they're from, for example, that in that case, the Middle East and understanding that they too have generational trauma. They too are humans. They too have reasons for their actions and have extremists that are in alignment with the majority. And so again, these are that's way more present day awareness, but like back then I didn't know I was just angry. I was like, wow, that's terrible. There are bad people in the world. I need to do something about it. How can I help? And at that time, it was really that day that I just became fascinated with this whole idea of justice, like criminal justice. How do we, how do I work against counterterrorism? How do I um, play my part in my role here? And yeah, really for the next nine years, I, I mm, yeah, ish, uh, I dedicated my interests, my studies. I went to two different high schools my senior year, one for general studies, one for administration of justice, and then went into college for it. And um, it just formulated, it kind of like sparked my anger it, it assisted my anger for sure um, to to wanted to make a difference. I was like, I have to, I just want to get the bad guys. And um, I think I developed a desire rather than going after specifically bad guys make, doing crimes, guys or girls. Um, I developed a fascination with why. Why are they doing that? Just like you did, clearly, because you studied <laughs> psychology. Um, and I did it in a different way. I went down the, the art, the arts realm and the self-expression and emotional feeling realm. Um, but I have such a fascination with, with things, you know, and I'd love to, I'm sure we could have another conversation and just, I would dig to into that mind for sure. Totally. But, but only after, you know, said, said completion, you know, Christmas this year track. means that you, uh, you know, apparently feel all sorts of feelings but yes yes the, after that event yeah that's I, I i felt the same way that you were yeah. you were coming at it from a similar place that why the heck yeah. was this happening why would people want to do this yeah and i i when i worked at the nra and again there's no judgment does yeah. it's not a one size fits all but a lot of people there were yeah. angry mm -hmm. they were frustrated with their careers they were tired from chasing and trying to fix these these issues i'm like that sounds like a tough career. And I, I'm a very hard person at, at heart from childhood. I've been kind of closed off, uh, cold, had to work out of selfish tendencies. And um, I was like, this is this career uh, is going to hurt me. I was like, I, I know somebody as prone to anger as me and struggling with things, going deeper into that, you know, toxicity is not going to help me. So I, I steered away from it. Um, and it's not, I, I value those people. Like we need, we need the people to, to go to those places and, and work on conflict resolution. And 
I, I respect them. I just couldn't do it for myself. So, you know, But, you know, what's so interesting is that when you talk through your life experiences and the things you've tried and then decided, no, you know, and you, you talk about it as certain selfishness, I, I really heard your life story very differently. So I'd like to share my lens uh, with you yeah, uh, please. If, I, if I could. Um, when I when oh. I heard about um, sort of, uh, you know, early childhood experiences and you've been very open with many aspects of them, and of course, I think appropriate and not sharing others, um, because I said there are really a lot of people in the world you care about, but there are only a certain number that you care about that much. And it's, it's, I love how you safeguard that and are still open. I think that's a real gift um, to be able to find that line. It's a hard one. Um, but in any event, you know, you know, growing up in the in the, in the way you did, um, and still being that kid who was impacted and said, "Gee, you know, want to do something to help out." And then the way you sort of frame, you know, going to the NRA, I think you did an in internship there, right? And then mm -hmm. seeing Homeland Security and finishing your job and then seeing the way people were hardened or, or, or angry mm -hmm. or had tough lives and say, oh, that's not for me. Um, it's interesting because then I, I guess as far as I understood, you went when you were you went, you went to find something else that was nothing like that, and you found yourself at some point for what four years selling supplemental health insurance to teachers, scaring them about yeah. illness, cancer, all this stuff's going to happen. You better buck up, right? And mm -hmm. you and you know now here again you are in a what seems like a very different career, right? As a rapper, hip hop artist, right? And, and the same struggle seemed to come up. Like you want to be a person who doesn't feel the weight of the world and you're trying really hard just to do your job, to show up and warn people like, you know, illness happens, buy this stuff, scare technique. But you still have mentioned, I think that, you know, you knew the stats. It wasn't like you were lying. You were just telling the truths. And here again, you, you you're at least your third career. My guess is you've tried on others. Most of us have, mm -hmm. um, of saying, you know, I, I can't handle this. I'm inherently a selfish guy is, 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 I think, the way you were framing it. Like, I'm out for me. That's just sort of who I am. But nothing about your life story actually sounds that way to me. Every time you've moved on, it struck me that you were saying there's some kind of semi-permeable membrane where some stuff's supposed to come in and some stuff's supposed to stay there in order to function. And actually, I'm a person who feels an awful lot empathically. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't really hit a field where I'm constantly going to feel that much rather mm -hmm. than what I think the way you frame it is, oh, I don't want to become an angry, hardened guy. I think it's unlikely that that's really uh, what would have happened to you. That strikes me. You're a person who feels a lot and is super empathic. And Thank I, you. Yeah. Thank you for that. I appreciate that perspective. Yeah. I think um, just to clarify on the word selfish, I think at an early age I learned that I needed to isolate and disconnect to feel okay. So connection scares me. Luckily, I have a partner who has taught me a lot about that, like being more safe and more vulnerable. And But still, it's rooted really deep. And I, I oftentimes, uh, unconsciously, I choose something that's best for me. And, you know, sometimes don't think about others right away. And it's selfish. And I don't think there's anything wrong with being protecting ourselves and choosing our desires and what we want. But there is definitely a level of like inclusiveness and awareness that I would like to, to get better at in general as my life goes on. Um, and just being more just like helpful to people around me. I do so much in my brand 
and I've made a lot of positive career moving shifts, but just mentally, I think it's those, it's those thoughts that are just chemically aligned for so many years. There's just bad, just habits of, Hey, disconnect, close out. Don't talk about that. You know, protect yourself, you know, just just very isolated, alienated thoughts that trigger actions that I don't actually believe in. When I'm, when I step back, I meditate and I go, Hmm, I don't, that's not how I feel. I don't need to do that. That's a place of lack. That's some, something, something is triggering me. And, um, so I appreciate what you're saying. And I, I believe that I do believe that as well. I know I, I, I have a great heart. I want the best for everything I'm involved in. And I, I'm also very open in, in saying I've got trauma. I, I'm in therapy as well. I, I know I can show up differently. I know I can be more selfless. I know there's a lot of growth left for me. Um, I just, I, I think it would have been a tough career path for me. That's all. I think it would have been a very yeah. I mean, and you think you, you you chose one that was inherently more self-directed, but here we are, and you've become you know the emissary for uh, mental health. So I guess I, I in some way you know we can't really escape the essence of who we are. You're I guess you don't see yourself as inherently a helper uh, or in a helping profession, but but I, I think you solidly are, my friend. Um, if, uh, mm. Just seems like you solidly are. Um, and maybe, you know, you. you know, maybe the, those moments of, of isolation and cutting yourself off that enable you to be so, uh, giving and so real with people at other times, you know, maybe that's your recharge space. Um, you know, I think we all have very different, you know, recharge spaces and, you know, from my own self, you know, in terms of why I do what I do, I, I was, you know, treating people, uh, one-on-one, -on -one, which I still do. I have a, a practice. Um, and then I've been teaching uh, other therapists, uh, you, know, all, you know, all over the country. I teach a few places and I also mm. teach overseas. So I teach in China and I teach some things in India and I've wow. done some stuff in Ethiopia and I've traveled to Siberia. I mean, I've done a lot of those kinds of things and um, cross-culturally, so cool. which is great um, because then, you know, you get to help people learn how to do it and then they get to go help people how to do it. So you're impacting, you know, more and more people. But my own thoughts and beliefs were... Again, in March, when I started um, becoming Freudina, uh, was that it, it wasn't enough, meaning as many people as you could impact, how could you do it more? And the idea of it behind Freudina was, well, if you just put mental health resources, you started putting them all together somewhere where people could just sort of get them. And it didn't have to be fancy because if you can get online and go to Insta and look up something cool like your, you know, favorite, you know, rap artist or something, um, you could also look up like, all right, I want to be in, a, in my own room. Like, what do people actually do when they want to be better? How do I craft, like, instead of an artisanal cheese board, how do I, you know, I self-curate a bunch of resources that may actually help me? So the idea was uh, to try to make it more more available to people, the best of the best, and not just sort of the crummy people who can afford to do this, um, you know, it's very, very hard. I think mental health in this country, uh, decent mental health is very expensive and very hard to come by. And it, do it really doesn't have to be that way. I think that's what I've learned. Um, some part of what I think um, the DIY aspect of it also struck me uh, that I was doing this only since March, but you've been doing it now a good couple of years, that music itself 
and mm-hmm. it was also being you know shepherded through this screen of labels and managers and all this other stuff and you also were a person who's like okay well if we didn't do it that way right a i could make more money so i could probably choose to do the things i want to do and b yeah. this sort of screen between me and my fans might might dissipate in some way right so Absolutely. I really, you know, va- valued that. Another thing I truly love about what you do with your free time is I think you mentioned that uh, uh, you listen to a lot of um, instrumental piano and um, the kinds of music I think you mentioned once was a hands of a Hans Zimmer, right? Hans Zimmer. Yeah. So you're sitting with the ambient piano songs and that's, and that's your space and it's your creative space, um, which it's is like 80% of my day. Which is it's like meditative sounds. Which is which is which is amazing. I'm wondering, um, La Lucidius, uh, do you have questions for me, um, or mm-hmm. any either about what I've heard or what you about what you've said or general questions about mental health or anything else re- regarding the sure. world for Dina? You know, thank you for being so open, and, and I'd really just like to reciprocate uh, in, in any way, and we'll cut out of this anything that doesn't feel comfortable afterwards. I think that makes it sense. All felt- it all felt good. Okay. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, hmm. Well, first of all, could you tell me what is it like? What's it like to talk? Like when I'm asking these questions, what, what's it like for you? To respond to these type of questions? Mm. As as time has gone on, because I communicate so often with my fans on similar topics, it, it really comes naturally for me. Um, it started earlier in Florida, like three or four years ago. I took a very intensive therapy course that was like a 33-hour weekend. And I did it every six weeks for like two years where they really, really break down. I mean, we've all been through some... It, 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 there's, there's different variations of these all over the place. But really tough and like awakening experience that was, that was really just the tip of the iceberg of realizing how much I had been avoiding and um, still hearing voices from the things I was taught years ago because it was so impactful. Um, But since then, you know, it hasn't been too awkward for me to meet someone new and to, if I get a good, trustworthy, energetic vibe, to just be like, yeah, like, you know, I do have issues with this and I struggle with this. And it doesn't, I don't feel shame just being real about problems and about mental thoughts and fears and whereas previously I would just lie through my teeth about how I was really feeling so now I could stand in front of whether you have two listeners right now or you have 10 million next year like I would speak the same and it doesn't bother me Um, I think when you start to touch into some of the deeper rooted parts that I avoid I can sense some some just internal awkwardness of like eh yeah, yeah, but then I'll get, I'll, I'll still, I'll still respond, but yeah, very few points of tension for me. Mm-hmm. Like this, this is safe for me. Like this is, I feel better, if whether people are watching or not. Mm-hmm. After I talk about this stuff, you know, uh, it's like it brings awareness to myself. I'm like, oh, and it makes me feel relatable, not not as alone. There's other people doing this type of work. My thoughts are sane. They're accepted. Like. I think I would feel worse not having the conversation. You know. To- by the way, totally, totally happy to take this entire thing, you know, 
and uh, put it the place that you ostensibly are putting your music, which is in your heart and your soul, and archive it. So you know, we'll 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 do whatever we need to do with it. But any part of it, or even all of it, if it's just that's what happens with it, that that's great. If this is what cool. you know, you know, I mean, I think I want to share parts of it with my fans too. Yeah, that, a lot of these responses were great. Yeah, that, that um, that's 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 okay. I th I think one I do have mm -hmm. one question. That yeah, sure, please as many as um, so. Mm -hmm. From a professional perspective, mm -hmm. educated like mm -hmm. from the psychology background, mm -hmm. do you have rules that you follow based on like when someone in that state of mind of I'm going to kill myself? Are there any like immediate things that you have learned that are like just their rules almost to follow that, that when that situation arises, what not to do? Because I need to make sure I'm not triggering or doing anything that I should not do. And then on the flip side, are there any things you, sh you should do um, in that moment uh, of con you know, contemplation for someone? You know, um, behind me, I don't know if you can see him. Uh, can you see up there? I can't. Oh, sorry. That's why I always keep Papa Freud around. And the reason I keep Freud around is not that I am, well, my name is Freudina, but um, other than that, you know, it just strikes me that one of the things Freud said that's true, and here we have proof, is whatever you're trying to avoid in life, um, yeah, that isn't going to happen. Hmm. So here we are, and the one thing I wasn't going to talk to you about, I like swore up and down and all around, was um, about you know, two, three days ago when I started going through the your stuff and your music and very seriously, your lyrics, really looking into them and really thinking about them, um, there was a, a SWAT team arrived at my house and my street was blocked off. Mm. And uh, the police came by to say that um, uh, there was a shooter, which is a very unusual experience for me. There was a shooter who had sequestered himself um in a building it so happened um the window is very close to my window where my office where we're sitting right now um and it, then i heard apparently there was there was a gunman and i should be very careful or something like that and then there was a like a relief like the swat team left and the news cameras all left and mm. they said no 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 he just killed himself you're, you're good and I had been sitting with, you can imagine which song I was singing with, it was sitting with of yours at exactly that time, was what you had written about Taylor. And I said, that, that's the response? Some 20-year-old mm. kid just killed himself in the next door building. What, what the heck? And I was, you know, I was, uh, I was crying. I was really crying. I was like, I was just literally had been sitting with your, with your music and with your thoughts and your feelings, and I'm thinking this poor kid, his entire family, and the response here is like, oh, don't worry, he, gunman shot himself. Like, what the heckity heck? And, of course, it had been the building next door as I was reading uh, your lyrics and listening to your stuff. And, and, it, and it, so it's I think... Lot. It was a lot. So, as I said, I, I think Freud's always told us the stuff we avoid just comes back. And I told you earlier on, you know, you were trying to uh, avoid uh, being the kind of giving kind empathic human being in the world that it's a tough tough road to be it's a tough road to be that kind of person a giving person but apparently it's one way or another you're doing it so now you're doing it through music um 
But I, I was thinking um, at that moment uh, when you asked the question, I, I couldn't avoid but answer you honestly because you've been so honest, uh, which is at that moment I felt, well, I could have gotten up out of my chair and gone down to the SWAT team and said exactly who's negotiating. And exa- I mean, I knew they had good people and I, you know, all that stuff, but I, ha- I hadn't really known. I hadn't understood. I thought there was... We're supposed to stay in, but the door's locked. I had no idea it was someone who was considering self-harm. You know, so those moments, I, I've, I've come to the conclusion that you have, that there is sometimes an, an inevitability about them that we say about afterwards, but there's always this question of maybe not, right? What would you have said if uh, um, if that did happen and you did open a I think that's a little different. It's a very physical, in-person experience, right? Maybe then someone messaging you. I don't know. I, I don't you know, have but you've, what you've, would you have said? you've had it up close too. things you just didn't know were happening. Like, I didn't know what was going on. Well, I'm building over. I can see the building now through the window right behind the screen. Mm-hmm. I, I was literally listening to your song and, and looking that's... at the lyrics. And, you know, had no idea. It was just another day at the office, you know. Um but I guess that was the power of what you wrote. Like you and I are just sitting, we're having a day at the office, right? And now we're having this conversation, which we could be having over a cup of coffee or, you know, a beer or something like one o'clock in the morning where we're both just having, a, you know, an honest conversation. And, and, and these things kind of have this way of impinging, of piercing real life out of nowhere. Like you're just doing your thing. You're opening up your phone. I don't know, maybe you're ordering a new Lucidius, you know, hat for a fan or something kind of merch and then this thing just shows up and you're like oh my god someone's about to hurt themselves and i thought that the things that you said that you did i don't know where you came up with them seemed very um smart so i i heard you say uh um on a previous interview and, and again here reiterate anything you open you respond to and i think yes. on a previous interview you said I know people can see if they read it, if I read it or not. And and I know the impact of reading something. And then someone says, you read it and you didn't bother to respond. So at least I'm going to leave stuff unopened that I don't open. And then in the immediate sense, um, I think you do the thing we all do, which is, can this person, what would be the safest thing for this person? And my, my feeling is... Um, whenever I get those kinds of things, I am the least adequate person on the planet to answer this question, right? Like any other person, a random guess is better than the thing I'm going to struggle with here. But, you know, sort of going with your gut of of what makes sense at that moment. I also thought it was kind of brilliant. Um, you know, suicide hotlines are the, really one of the most important things we've done in the last while that, to be of help. But you said, gee, it's awfully difficult when a, a fan reaches out to me. There's a reason they're not calling a stranger on a hotline. Um, so when, mm-hmm. as far as I understand, and I don't know if it's still the way you practice, that you've set up um, groups of people who sort of support each other, who've all mm-hmm. contacted you, and then they have that in common. Uh, do yeah. you mind saying something about that? Or just um, the way that works? Yeah, it, it's it's a little hard to manage. I did. I've done two Facebook groups both of which are not as active as they used to be. Facebook in general is not as mm-hmm. active as it used to be. Uh, so then I was like, okay, well, Instagram's where it's at. So I set up upwards of five or 600 people in different pockets of chats. And it was really hard to manage. And um, I was like, okay. Overall, a lot of, I would say 90% positivity came from it. They struggled. They came in. There was that moment. 
uh, they would say, hey, 2 a.m., I'm, I'm from Australia right now, and I'm, to be honest, I feel like cutting myself. And somebody from Oregon in the United States would be like, yo, 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 what's up? I'm here. You want to hop on FaceTime or, um, you know, don't do that. I felt that yesterday. And I noticed that, for example, two girls always came together who both were cutters. And it wasn't under the lens of trauma bonding. What I noticed is in that environment, which was very much from me, uh, it was a Lucidian environment, they felt a sense of not responsibility, maybe responsibility to show up for the other person, even though they were also struggling with cutting. Maybe on this day he wasn't and she was. So when she was, there was just like this, I'll pull you up. You got it. And maybe the next day this person was like, oh, I'm falling down. They're like, oh, no, no, you were there from yesterday. I got this. And they, and I noticed that it was a place for them to start feeling safe and getting familiar with reaching out and understanding that there are avenues that people can actually receive it with love and not judge judge them and, uh, heaven forbid, tell them they're right or do something stupid. Um, so then I took it from Instagram and I took it to Discord. Discord is like a chat application. Again, five or 600 people in there where probably right now there's somebody in the in the ch channel of positivity or in the channel of um, struggling, like people are just opening up. I've segmented kind of the topics and they can go into the channels and communicate. You know, it's not for everybody, but if they're struggling and they really need an outlet, they have one. And I start to push people. I'm like, hey, when they, when they reach out, I'm like, hey, first of all, I read this for a reason. I'm here. I don't get the chance to read a lot of my messages, but I totally understand where you're at and I can't imagine how that feels. I, I, I just need you to know that I see you. I love you. I don't want you to, to hurt yourself. In fact, I'd love to welcome you deeper into my community. Why don't you join this group? Why don't you come into Discord? Why don't you just come introduce yourself? And they're like, um, okay. You know, most of the time when they join, they say, hey, like, I'm Josh. Uh, I'm, I'm new here, fan of music. And six people will go, hey, Josh, where are you from? And like, it's just like a, you know, it's just instant acceptance. And I can't guarantee where the road's going to lead. But I started doing these group environments because I just, I, I respond once and maybe they go deeper the second time and I I go into a meeting or I'm, I'm in the studio or yeah. I just, it's, it slips away. 10 more people send in and then six months go by. I open it and six months ago, they so the last message, the message they sent is, I'm sorry, it's too much. Goodbye. And I'm like, shit, I missed it. And um, so long story short, I just trying to create a system where they can still be in my network, be in my ecosystem, but connect with each other and still feel safe and get comfortable with what it feels like to reach out for help. I have a lot of practical suggestions. I guess I yes, prefer please. to give them to you offline if that's okay. Okay. Yeah, um, totally. Um, but I do, if you're actually asking the question, I feel that that's, that's a question that deserves a real answer. Um, so yeah, let's, let's do that when it's not super public. Maybe you can do it at the end of this. this is totally cool. Um, mm -hmm. I also felt like you had asked me a specific question about that, that I unconsciously dodged. There was something that you were struggling with <laughs> um, that I missed. Well, a I... lot of great stuff was shared. It was just more so, mm -hmm. and I know there's not necessarily a right answer to this, but mm -hmm. from an education perspective, like how mm -hmm. you were taught, mm -hmm. is there a guaranteed no or like pro versus con list, a guaranteed to do and to don't? Mm -hmm. in that moment like if you were to get on the phone mm -hmm. with that guy mm -hmm. is there like an instantaneously is it mm -hmm. what i can mm -hmm. make assumptions but 
Sure. If you have that. Well, okay. I'm going to also make you another offer, which I don't know. You might actually take me up on it. Um, I told you I'm teaching a three-part suicide course to clinicians. Um, and it's to other people who are also managing it. It hadn't really, as much as I listened to a guy who, for all your, I don't know, I think of rappers as lots of bling and hip-hop stuff. I don't know what that is, really. You can tell. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. you, you're one of those few people who do more than they say. Uh, that had not been my experience of the hip-hop world, but you're doing a lot. Uh, you, I'm happy to give it to you. I will give you the course if you'd like. Um, oh, I would love to. I yeah. will, it requires reading. Uh, are you okay, okay with it? Yeah, I feel that I would really, I feel like calling. I need to be more educated on this. Sure, I will give you the course. I'm giving this course at St. Louis Psychoanalytic, so you nice. can take it with clinicians who are dealing with uh, suicidality, or okay. we can just get together. We probably won't have this whole fancy video thing, but um, okay. we can just read through the articles, and I can show you sort of best practices and um, the way I, I mean I teach others to, to sort of think about, conceptualize, and then structure it. Um, I'll just tell you briefly from what the stuff you've shared today and the stuff that I listened, um, because... Again, between now and when we get together, although maybe that'll be soon, there are lots of people who might be impacted on Discord right now. So I do feel a bit of a responsibility, as you do, to take it seriously. I loved when you said um, on your on your previous podcast, um, I have a policy. I respond once. I make it clear I'm not going to respond again. Hmm. And I think that you, from what I understood now, you've slipped a little bit and yeah. that you may be responding again. So that's a thing that clinicians have all the time. And when I supervise people, I think that shows empathy, love, care, all the things we want in people who give a darn about others. Um, If you didn't slip up sometimes, then you would not have the qualities we wanted in people caring for people. But Mm. I do think it's a good plan for you to stick with the original, I respond once, and then it's off your head and it's, it's... you threw them, you sent them to Discord, you, you, you channeled, channeled them to something else. Otherwise, it becomes real slippery, um, mm. as you've noted. And I think most clinicians, when we when we have what we call the frame, we set up rules, most people slip up sometimes, and then the goal is to get back to the frame. Because without a frame, and that's just what a cl- clinical talk is, but without guidelines, or I'm not sure what you'd call it in common mm-hmm. parlance, um, it's impossible to navigate the kinds of stuff you're, you're navigating. So that, that rule struck me as very sensible. Um, okay. And then another thing you could probably do is figure out, um, I have no idea why I'm telling you all this, Lucidius, I feel a little bit silly, but uh, you'll tell me to stop if it's too much. But um, on your uh, original, on the Insta that I reached out on, um, I guess that would be the place that people would land on if they uh, were just trying to find you once. Is that how most of your fans reach you, like three DMs, DMs yeah, there? Yeah, predominantly, yeah. Yeah, so I guess you it would be good if you had... Um, sort of uh, happy to help really um if you had um it set up in a way that people would know what the expectations are what the rules are um mm. knowing expectations and rules actually provides like safety. of the discord um well if i reach out to you and i kind of heard that my friend reached out to you once and he was going to kill himself and then he didn't because he spoke to you and it's all vague and i'm mm. having the worst day of my life ever i'm not going to really be understanding the rules but if if mm. we could write them out explicitly in a way um, and I guess that is a training you get in psych grad school about mm-hmm. how to sort of establish safety for you and for uh, the other person. It provides a structure so people don't get too um, distressed and they kind of know what yeah. to expect. Um, anyway, Interesting. I, I'm, I'm happy to 
you know talk you through any of this sure. if it's interesting. Yeah, no, feel free to sh- just keep sharing. I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, it's, whatever it's, feels it's, right. No, it's totally fine. Um, but you know, it, it's possible that everyone, not everyone else in podcast land, uh, wants it. But um, yeah, but but even afterwards, for sure, like I even can go through some of the basic protocols with you if you'd like, because you've actually been holding so much, I hadn't quite understood. Uh, it, it's 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 amazing, and what you've done is, I think. Um, probably with some conversations with some people, but also by some instinct, you've instinctively enacted a lot of the things that I think I, I was trained to do and didn't know. They may come more instinctually to you. Uh, so I, I guess you're a special person uh, in, mm. the, in that way. Okay. Um, <laughs> so let me give you a chance to read some of your, uh, to, to read yeah, or, sure. and if you're some of your own stuff, which is awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we were just looking on a, cool. on a verse called, or it was the, the tracks called I Lost It. And uh, my friend is that my friend. One of my friends is actually struggling with suicidal thoughts, so he asked me to put together a couple bars that were relevant to uh, to the verse that he was writing. So I'll just read the I'll just read the lyrics for you. Um, all right, so it says, "Life keeps moving, passing me by, distant from the heavens. Here I'm asking me why, acting like we gonna live forever and forget that we die. Then we suddenly lose someone that we love and we cry. So why?" Improvise, make mistakes, and I pray. Regret filling up my body. Can you take it away? Internal voice talking to me. I've been troubled for days, but maybe longer. I don't know, because I've been stuck in the days. Like a drug, always searching for a mental escape. For a while, I've been seeking out a comfortable place. I tend to slip, handcuffed in a difficult state. Push to be great, then compare all the shit that I make. There's one side of me I love and one side that I hate. I'm back and forth with emotion. It's a game that I play. Dark secrets in a box. I just tuck them away, step on a stage, and create a lucid mind for display. So. Oh, wow. That's a... That's a, I guess, a full verse, almost. A little less than a, little less than a full verse. That's very real. That's very real. Yeah. yeah, because it was for because it was for someone. Yeah, but I related to it. Yeah, I mean, I wrote it for me. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, like a drug always searching for a mental escape could be simply uh, the drug of validation, craving likes on mm-hmm. your Instagram post. It I could love be the a literal heroin. It could be anything. I love the flip there. The the drug that's that's escape for looking for a mental escape, right? Because mm-hmm. it's all that's all it ever is. Yeah. You still there? That like the likes and all that stuff, paying as much attention to it as you've written about? As much? No, I don't read through all the comments and the engagement. Mm. Uh, I'll take. Sometimes I'll fall. I'll fall into it and I'll read. I also like reading the positives and responding to people. But yeah, no. It, mm. Like we released a track like five days ago. I don't even know how many streams it has because I just, I refuse to like, pr- imprison myself to it. Mm-hmm. Are there any things that you're doing that are um, sort of out of music and out of all this and incredibly silly and wastes of time? Playing with my dogs. Oh. I play a lot of video games. Oh. What kind of dogs um, and what kind of video games? Call of Duty, for sure. Uh-huh. Call of Duty is my game. Uh-huh. And both of my pups, uh, my partner and I have two Alaskan Klee They're like miniature huskies, basically. They're like one's 13 pounds, one's like 18 pounds and extremely talkative and dramatic. And we, we've been training them to do a lot of cool stuff. Um, we have like a movie bowl. My, my roommates and I put in five movies each. We pull it out. We watch whatever comes up. We just like love movies, big into TV shows. 
Um, huge into meditation. That's why I listen to so many soundscapes. Yeah. So. Um, what are you hoping for in, in 2021 as things open back? Are you going to try to hit the road or? Definitely want to go back on my second tour. Um, release my fourth album along with like another six singles into the fourth album. Of course, another at least five or six music videos. I would love my company that I'm launching, which is called Invoco, N-V-O-K-O.com. Um, right now it's just a wait list, but have that fully launched and have thousands of artists on it, you know, benefiting from our service. And tell us, tell me a bit about it, what it is. Invoco is a essentially a, a collaboration platform between artists, but very specifically for legalities. Like, so we are putting, kind of putting the power back in artists' hands and trying to educate them on the importance of having an enforceable legal agreement between themselves and other featuring artists or themselves and producers and actually helping customize dynamic contract language around the project details and having them actually have, be safe by the time the project is done. Even if they never spoke to the other party again, they're safe. You know, they're, they're, their generations are safe. I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you, dude. Like, again, something else that you struggled with that was a mess that you're bringing it's, online <laughs> for everyone yeah. else not to have the same problems. That's yeah. incredible. So, yeah, you're a busy guy. Um, yeah, we're very passionate about it. It's one of my biggest projects. That, that, that's great. So um, that's just wonderful. Um, so I guess um, before we log off, I'll give you just uh, another uh, question. Are there any thoughts or comments or reflections you've had about the time we've spent together? The main question that was coming up was just how I could be better serving my audience, which we kind of touched on, um, which is amazing. Thank you for offering just any expertise if you're absolutely. We'll make a time. Well, we'll I'll make a time. We'll do it. Absolutely. I'll just sit you through what we do in a hospital. I'll just walk you through it. Totally. Sweet. Yeah, I would love that. We don't have five, six hundred people like in a hospital, man. So you're, you're of course. You're, yeah. So I'm saying it's incredible what you're doing, right? You're doing this, this global thing. But uh, same same procedures should apply. So absolutely. Cool. It should. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, it's just relatable. I, I thought it was really I've turned down a couple other podcasts and interviews that my publicist told me about this one and. I love what you're doing. I know just based on reading what you're doing, you, you're a huge advocate and just for positive mental health awareness and, and just healing people. And I, I, we need more people. We need more, more energy around it. And to have to see someone doing it from a, a really strong, well-educated background is really refreshing. Uh, and to do so much homework on me to actually care about my lyrics, my story, and what I'm doing, like, it's beyond, uh, I'm, I'm beyond grateful that someone would reach out with such, because sometimes people reach out and they don't really know. They ask questions on the spot, but they didn't really do any homework, and you clearly care about what you're doing, um, and I think it's really cool. Thank you. So I'm happy, I'm happy to be involved. It's, it's super cool for me. I really, um, I can't thank you enough. It's, it's nice to know that there are people out there that you haven't met. Uh, but that uh, share share the same sentiments, you know, life becomes a lot less lonely in general, right? 
more more connections you make um thanks for for sharing um i'm gonna uh i guess uh formally we'll figure out a way that i um, i'll end this and then sure. i'll just sort of stop the recording so then we could just get down to other stuff that doesn't need to be on this i don't even know mm -hmm. the way i'm supposed to end this because it's been a rather emotional podcast do you, do you want to sign us off thank thank me and i'll thank you and then i'll just pause and then i'll stop sure. the record cool sure well i would love to say thank you for having me um i think and i hope that this can be a powerful subject and topic for a lot of people both for my listeners your listeners and if anything, I think what I would like to have it bring some clarity and resolution around is just that all of us are dealing with this and the safest thing to do is to just reach out to someone that we trust and just talk about it. And it doesn't have to be so intense. It doesn't have to be so formal. Uh, there's not like take practices and courses and this and that. Just talk about it. And um, I promise on the other side, I've, I've experienced it for myself. I promise it always leads to somewhere better. You just have to just have to reach out. Thank you, Lucidia, so much for sharing of yourself and sharing of your music and being such a freaking good sport through all the silliness as well. Um, and I know that um, our listeners are are logging on, uh, both yours and ours, probably for a lot of the more serious stuff. But hopefully, uh, some of the more silliness, uh, some of the more silly way in which uh, we allow ourselves to be. Uh, also allows us to see that in really times that are very difficult or stressful things, uh, allowing yourself to be faintly ridiculous is, is not a is not a bad way to do it. Um, I wanted to uh, send a shout out both to your friend. Uh, you sent uh, shared some lyrics to let him know that uh, lots of people, including me, are thinking about him. And uh, to have a friend that writes lyrics like that and feels your pain is important in the world. And we're all feeling that. And a shout out to. My friend Zach, who uh, got a call the other day by a, a very frightened and suicidal uh, teen, and his response was to buy uh, something equivalent to a password for a streaming service on TV. Uh, said, nice. if you could watch this celeb tonight, can you put it off? Your, can you put off suicide for 12 hours? And for about $5.99, saved a life. So sometimes mm. it's a little stuff. So a shout out to all the people who are out there working on the, the fore, forefront of uh, suicidality and mental health issues that really never get acknowledged. Uh, you guys are underpaid and serve service that are, are, are most uh, vulnerable. So thank you all for, for joining us. And Lucidius, you're, you're awesome. Uh, thank you so mm. much. Thank um, you. And thank you. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, guys.